0: All right, tonight. Uh, tonight's gonna be interesting, it's gonna be interesting. And uh, I wanna begin our whole journey uh, this evening by asking you guys uh, this question, if we can uh, begin here. Uh, would you say that you, as an individual, are being trained for focus or distraction? I wanna share uh, some things with you right now that are, that are grieving my heart, Uh, Let's begin with the phone, okay? Are you you being trained for focus or distraction? While I'm talking on the phone, while I'm on the phone already, okay, all of a sudden there's another ding of a text message that comes in. And while that ding has just dung, okay, (laughs) then all of a sudden a calendar reminder pops up on that same phone. And as that calendar reminder comes up, I hang up the phone, and then I'm alerted that the person who called me while I was on the phone left me a voicemail. And while I'm checking that voicemail, for some of you who have the FB or Insta, then all of a sudden you realize that while all of that was happening simultaneously, you have 17 new alerts. And while you happen to be looking through those 17 new alerts... Six more conversations come in through text message. There is no such thing anymore as a waiting room. It's the use the phone room. We don't notice the the time anymore at the DMV, do we? Why? Because the moment we sit down in that chair waiting for our number to be called in the next three hours... Like a drug, everyone reaches in the pocket or in the purse or in the murse if you're a man, okay? <laughs> the thought of going without it for more than uh, a few hours gives some of you a nervous, you know, tick, right? Right, like, like imagine the moments, and I'll just confess, okay, there was a, uh, my phone was having all kinds of text messaging issues. Um, a text would come in, and it would take like two, two minutes, two minutes, for my text message thing to open up. And I thought I was going to have a nervous breakdown. What, two minutes? Like, I can't open this thing. Right. Are we being trained, I ask you again, for focus or distraction? Um, conversationally. When was the last time that you felt like someone was really listening to you? Like when you feel like someone was really, really hanging on every word that you were saying, and, and, and they asked you a question, they said, how are you? Okay. Well, what they didn't know is that you were actually going to answer that in honesty. Maybe they wanted some frivolous, nonsensical, you know, I'm okay or I'm fine or whatever, and they wanted to move on, give a bro-shake and call it a day. But you actually answered the question. We've learned as listeners to give certain body cues that communicate we're listening, but in reality, we're insanely distracted. We are masters at the head nod. Come on, anybody? Some of you are doing it right now. Oh yeah, that's me. I didn't hear what you said, but I'm listening, right? I'm with you, Mark. Right. We're masters at like the lean in, or for me, it's the close talking, okay? Like because I'm right here in your face, right? Like then I must be listening to you. But the reality is, think about the conversations you had even in this room tonight, right? Like you're starting to talk to people, and you're already, listen, you're already looking past them to the next conversation. And some of you are like, but Mark, I have like, you know, 17 children running around this room. How could I not be distracted? I want to ask you again, are we being trained for focus or distraction? Uh, How about this generation not that represents our children. Uh, It's unbelievable to me how quickly I fall into the temptation that every time we get in the van, because my van is so nicely equipped with a DVD player, it seems the natural thing and the right thing to do to go ahead and hit play. In the times at a restaurant... When my kids are getting antsy, it seems so easy just to hand them a device, an iPad, an Amazon Kindle, a whatever it is. I remember growing up when I had to sit in the car <laughs> and look at the trees and count the yellow lines. And play the game where like, you try to find stuff that has the same first letter. Remember that? We don't play those games anymore. If this doesn't grieve your heart, I'm not sure what, it, what is. What will? What will be the effects of a generation that does not know what quiet is? What will be the effects of a generation that are growing up where entertainment is everywhere. I'm saying you want your kids to be focused, but you're teaching them to be distracted. You want your kids to be honed in, and yet you in your selfishness, me in my selfishness, am providing them the tools to look right past God's creation and look right into an LED screen. If this doesn't grieve your heart, I'm not sure what will. We are a distracted people. We are a, a people that have very difficult time focusing. It's, it's no wonder, in my humble opinion, why ADHD, I don't even know what those letters mean, but why ADHD is on the rise. Is it possible that we're training, in some circumstances, people to lack attention? And then we give them drugs, to try to help them focus. And again, certainly there are times of clinical understanding of that. I don't even want to go into the ins and outs. I'm just saying, would you agree that there are certain times when we've enabled that? I would even say where we've caused it. Well, the humbling reality is that where that transfers uh, is right into our relationship with the Lord. Paul's concerned about this. We've seen this in, in Colossians. He's concerned. Why? He doesn't want his readers to be distracted. Be distracted from what, you ask? From the heretical teaching that's coming in. Uh, Like we've seen him build the supremacy of Jesus over and over and over, right? Like this whole letter so far has been talking about the grandeur of Jesus. Why? So that everything else would seem like minuscule, right? That they would, like, compare every other possible distraction or attention getter against Christ. And they wouldn't even be in the same category. They wouldn't even be, for lack of a better term, in the same galaxy, right? And so tonight he comes uh, to a very focused teaching on why he wants his readers to not be distracted. And it's all coming out of uh, these last few verses that we saw last week. Check this out. Uh, I hope you were encouraged by this. And you, who were dead in your trespasses, used to be the old man... And the uncircumcision of your flesh, in other words, the flesh hadn't been cut away by the person of Christ. God made alive together with him. I pray in the last seven days, you in Christ have felt alive. In spite of whatever it is that you're going through. Whatever trial, tribulation, pain, hurt, in Christ we're alive. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Did anyone here in the last seven days celebrate that truth? That forgiveness is holistic, that there's not one sin that God's still like, oh, remember that? I sure do. Remember how many people you hurt with that? I sure do. No, he's forgiven us as far as the east is from the west. He's washed our sins white as snow, verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. The legal demands was demanding our death. Because of these things, you should die. But he canceled it. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, the cross that only he could bear, but somehow in him were united with him. And then somebody, he disarmed the rulers, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by, what's the word by what? Come on, by triumphing, by triumphing, victory in Jesus, my savior forever, right? So he leads into this really hefty discussion with, I hope for the readers and I hope for you, this understanding of victory. So all of that said, a very heavy topic tonight, open your Bibles to Colossians. We're going to end chapter 2. If you're doing the quick math, that means we're almost halfway done with Colossians. Unbelievable. Okay, It's only taken us three and a half months to get uh, halfway done with this very short letter. So we're going to read it in its entirety, and then we're going to break it down. So let's start in verse 16. We're going to study all the way to verse 23. So that's miraculous, right? We've been going at a snail's pace so far. This seems like a, a, a sprint. Here we go. Verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, okay? These, verse 17, are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to who? To Christ, okay? Uh, we're reading the scripture right now, okay? So feel free when I say, hey, you know, read with me to just, um, just read your Bible there, okay? Verse 18, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, Going on in detail about visions puffed up without any reason by sensuous mind. And verse 19, not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. The word growth there just always cracks me up. Uh, Verse 20, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? What a great question. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. We'll talk about the meaning of that verse 22. Referring to things that all perish as they were used. According to human precepts and teachings. And finally verse 23. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom. In promoting self-made religion and asceticism. And severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Seems like some confusing things in there. And if you say asceticism three or four times. You really sound smart. Let's break this down. Okay. Let's start here in verse 16. Therefore. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink. Okay, well, Colossae is in nature a Gentile land. And food and drink in the uh, ancient Judaistic ways is very vital. Okay? Uh, Maybe you've heard of all of the dietary and uh, drink laws and rules that Jews uh, sat under, right? So what he says is uh, there's a a new day in the new covenant. So all of these things, as we'll see here in verse 17, were but a shadow of the things to come. In other words, all of the regulations of food and drink, or we could even add to this verse and say head coverings and uh, certain, uh, uh, um, certain dietary restrictions that the Jews had. Those now you should not stand in judgment over or with regard to a festival. Okay, a lot of Jewish festivals. There's several of them. Pentecost, uh, Passover, the, uh, the festival of the, of the new harvest-ish. There, there's a technical term, and it left me there. But there was a lot of festivals. Okay. And, and these were, in the rhythm of a Jew, supposed to be celebrated. And what Paul's saying is, don't let anyone judge you on these things. In other words, if a Jew comes to you as a Gentile and says, under the new covenant or under the person of Jesus... Hey, um, actually, to be saved, uh, you need to make sure you celebrate you some festival. At first, that sounds fun, right? Festival and Jesus—that's cool. Is that like a carny for Jesus kind of thing? You know, like what? what really does that mean? Uh, But, but it's not. That's not the connotation. It's—it's look. If anyone says Jesus plus anything else is mistaken and misspoken, that's his point. Okay. So Jesus plus festival—that's not going to work. Jesus plus food and drink, that's not going to work, okay? Jesus plus even here the new moon or a Sabbath, which could be pointing to several different things. Uh, Even here at Matthias, we have a Wednesday-Sunday model. We're not ancient Jewish legalistic Sabbatarians, okay? Uh, We just believe that resting in Christ is a good thing. Ceasing and celebrating the work of Jesus is great. His point is, Jesus plus everything else gets you nowhere. All you need is Jesus, It's as if to say this. Next slide. It's as if to say, don't be distracted by legalism, right? So folks who come in and they, in their legality, want to attach things to the gospel by their belief. Don't let them judge you. Don't be distracted by legalism. Um, Let's have a little chat about legalism, shall we? Let's begin with the really lighthearted topic of alcohol, okay? Okay. this is a really, really interesting topic, isn't it, in the church? It's it certainly divided. Denominations, sects of people. It's certainly been a heated conversation. Do you understand now why it's such a critical conversation? Because if it's distracting us from Jesus, then the enemy's like, you guys keep arguing about alcohol. Go team, right? Go team Christianity. You guys keep fighting over legality issues, right? Stop sharing in a missional way the person of Christ. Get the world to believe the real crux of the issue is belief on alcohol, and the enemy believes I'm winning, right? Okay? You guys see the problem here? But think about all the conversations that you've heard with Christians around alcohol. I mean, you have some Christians that believe it is not biblical at all to drink, that abstaining is the biblical call. And then you have other believers that believe, no. Like, uh, you know, as long as we're not drunk, uh, clearly the scripture seems to say that. And then you have whole other believers that are on a loose liberty sort of way say, sip it back, even if we get drunk, Jesus would have us have fun. Remember the whole water into wine thing? Okay? Right? That's everyone's all, you know, the the, the times I challenge drunkenness, inevitably, okay, even from the non-believer. Well, Jesus changed water into wine. What did he expect him to drink, right? It was wine. Fl- and then, then people are like, but it was fermented differently. Okay, like, <laughs> right. Okay. So people always ask me what I, I believe about alcohol, okay? Many of you guys know I, I, I have never had a drink, okay? Uh, that's not all the way true because at our wedding, um, we had asked for sparkling cider, right? And, uh, and sure enough, Heidi, you know, or we, we toast, and I put that sparkling, and I'm like, that tastes a little extra sparkling, you know, like that, I've never, I've never, so I can't say that's all the way true. There was actually one other time, uh, we were certain, when, when, hold on, hold on, <laughs> when we were in Laos on a mission trip, okay, uh, some of you guys know the, the story of the missionary that was there, he had been on the Ho Chi Minh Trail Uh, like, absolute stud, and he served communion with wine, and I definitely was not going to deny that. You know what I'm saying? I was like, hey, praise be to the Lord, you know, like, I'm sure it's fermented appropriately. Um, (laughs) So where as a church we stand on this is clearly uh, the the Scripture says that drunkenness is an error. Because in drunkenness, uh, what you're doing, and this is why it matches up systematically with the Scripture, is in drunkenness you're saying that you need something else outside of Christ. But at the same time, a drink is a liberty issue. Like at the same time, there's nothing against a believer who's of age in submission to the governing authorities having a drink. Okay. Now, where people take a stance, listen, when people take a stance that they can't find in the scripture, but that they've surmised by three or four passages, they put them together like a puzzle, change some Greek phrasing, and then put that out as a doctrine statement, that's where we, that's where we have problems. You know, when people say, well, yeah, but in this verse and in this verse and in this verse, and if you take all three of those verses and you change some pronouns, the Scripture says we're not to drink. Does anyone see the problem in that? Okay. Well, the enemy celebrates that. Why? Because, again, then Christians find themselves arguing about the issue of alcohol. Instead of just saying, well, the Bible says drunkenness is in error. So why don't we, why don't we follow the Scripture? Let's not take a stance of legality where we don't need to. Let's not, at the same time, have loose liberty. Let's find ourselves in great balance following God's, uh, God's word. And, and alcohol is something that he's provided for some of you in, in, you know, in, in chunks of time to enjoy and celebrate. But it's not the, it's not the, the deal. It's not the issue. Okay. So alcohol is just one, certainly a hot topic in the church. Let's talk about another one. This may seem a little bit weird to bring up. How about attendance? If you ever in this body feel like that you're looked down upon simply because you did not attend, uh, then we find ourselves in a situation of legalism, okay? Uh, I would say I experienced some of this growing up, okay? Hey, Mark, uh, you weren't in Sunday school today, sinner, right? (laughs) What were you doing? I I have the flu, (laughs) you know, like... Legi- oh, really? How bad was it? Were you throwing up in the last two hours? No, it was last time. You should have been here. Right? Like, and it paints this picture that attendance is what the Lord is after. Attendance in Sunday school or attendance in the worship gathering. What I've learned is I want to be around the body of Christ in freedom from the Lord. See what I'm saying? Like, I don't need anyone to take my attendance here to like get me to be here. I love the body. I want to be around the body. I want to worship with the body, but at the same time, if I'm made to feel guilty because I wasn't there. Now where this uh, has balance, right, is is if the body in love of people starts noticing that that folks aren't around. This happens all the time in Lot family. Like we'll see two or three weeks where someone just, they're they're not there. And in love, not because we're wanting to keep attendance, in love we reach out and say, hey, man, man, we've missed you. Is everything okay? And often, no, things aren't okay, right? So the legalistic picture gets us all distracted and makes people feel guilty and heaps rules and regulations on top of the gospel. Anything that says Jesus plus something else is an error. So I want you to think for a second about potential uh, legality issues that you find yourself struggling with. Uh, Can I bring up one more? Is that cool? Okay. How about this hot topic of education? Okay, public, private, home, or no, okay? (laughs) Right? It's really, really interesting to me when I find myself in circles and people start making a biblical case for private school only or for public school only. Thou shalt only be in public school. Matthew 29 makes it clear. And thankfully, those of us who are versed in our Bible, Matthew only has 28 chapters. Like, you need to read it again, you know. Oh, but it's in Colossians 5. No, Colossians has four chapters. Well, it's in Hesitations, not a book of the Bible, right? Like, this is not. But you'll see, if you guys just got online and Google like I did, right, Christian education. I mean, some people have formed very, very, very compelling biblical arguments for only public or only private or only whatever. Issues of legalism. You're not, a, you're not a Christian if you don't send your kids to private school. You're not a Christian if you don't speak in tongues. You're not a Christian if you, and on and on and on. Issues of legality that the enemy revels in. Why? Because they're distractions. And the church finds themselves arguing about the wrong things in the wrong conversation, and he just applauds on the corner. You guys go for it. Yeah. Keep arguing about education. Okay. So, then in light of this, here's what happens in verse 17. He adds this these are, I've already quoted this, are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance, the meat and the potatoes, the everything belongs to Jesus. I've said it a million times, I'll say it another uh, gabillion times, okay? When anyone wants to talk about uh, religion as a whole, the question is easy what do you say about Jesus? That's the quintessential hinge point, okay? So, all of those things, God used some of those in the Old Testament to set up Jesus perfectly fulfilling the law and the prophets, the Scripture says. Okay? Uh, the Sabbath was a shadow of the Jesus Sabbath in Luke 4, the eternal Sabbath in Hebrews. Okay? And on and on and on. These things are a shadow. They're not the substance. I want to ask you, does the church in America communicate well that the substance is Jesus or do they really, do you really focus on the shadows? It's a wonder, right? Well, like our culture is confused about what the gospel is they're watching us chase the shadows. See what I'm saying? Heavy stuff. Next slide. So he goes on here in verse 18, and I love this, and this will seem confusing at first, but I think it'll come together. Let no one disqualify you. Well, what would be the disqualification? You're not a Christian if, has anyone ever told you that? Has anyone ever to your face said the words, you are not a Christian"? That's a really, really bold statement to make in any circumstance. But that's what Paul's saying. Don't let anyone say that to you. Don't let anyone disqualify you. Insisting on asceticism, okay, really weird word, and very simply, it means humility. And in this case, maybe a false humility. We'll see it in the latter verses, really what the fullness of it means, okay? Insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, Huge heretical teaching. Okay? Hebrews addressed it a ton. If you worship angels and not Jesus, you're not worshiping the creator. You're worshiping the creation. Angels in, the, in and of themselves, a creation, not the creator. So anytime you misplace those, then you'll find yourself in error. Or look at this, going on in detail about visions. Hello, you're like, but I don't do that, okay? Listen, we're really, 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 really quick to throw out the God card, all right? We're really, really quick to, um, to attach things to the Lord. I'll explain more what I mean here in a second after we finish this up. Puffed up, look at this, without reason by his sensuous mind. Let's say it this way, okay? Next slide, let's say it this way. Don't be distracted by legalism or over-spiritualism. Okay, there's some folks that you talk to where like everything has, like God has said everything. Oh, you know, this morning I was, I was like right there at the cereal bar and I heard the voice of God. You know, today, lucky charms, right? So I was like, all right, Lord, praise be to you. I mean, if I got to have marshmallows, I guess it better be because you ordained it, right? And... I talk about this one a lot, okay. Oftentimes in dating, thankfully I've had some really good opportunities to help some folks recently. Okay, they've come to me and they're like, "Mark, I really feel like I need to focus on Jesus and and not this relationship." And so I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to go, you know, go to this girl and 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 say that God has said that we need to we need to to split apart, right? And man, this has happened I would say like ten times in the last several months. And my communication now in those circumstances is, listen, here's what you need to communicate. Here's what I've realized, is I am sinning. And so I need to repent. I need to take ownership of my sin, and I need to repent, turn from my sin, and turn to the Lord Jesus. So God has told me in his word to repent. Okay, He hasn't said in his word, break up with you right now. He has said in his word that I'm called to Repentance. And I've allowed the physicality of this relationship or even the idolatrous nature of my heart to see you as more significant than you are, and I, as a man, need to repent of that. And so I'm going to turn from that sin, not you, my sin, and turn toward the Lord. And that's really shifted the God card mentality. I want to keep challenging this. Uh, Some of you are very, very prone to hyper-spiritualize your language. Okay? Okay. Every single thing you say, not scripturally affirmed, is backed by almost a a mystic sort of language, you know, and then in the spiritual realms, I saw this and I experienced that and I had this vision, not saying that visions don't happen, not saying that prophecy doesn't happen, not saying that speaking in tongues when done biblically uh, doesn't, I'm not saying that those things don't happen. But what I am saying is when you think that your relationship with Jesus is based on an experience, then what you've done is you've said Jesus plus experience equals salvation. Okay? Jesus plus the proper lighting, the proper strum of a guitar, the proper vision, the proper expression of gifts, the proper speaking in whatever kind of, like all of those things, in those moments, then I am a believer. And that's why certain segments of the church... Even communicate from their doctrine. Okay? Unless you speak in tongues, you are not a mature or even a believer at all. Where does that, what kind of scripture are they standing on, right? So now all of a sudden we find ourselves teaching one another to pursue experience, to pursue the worship of creation, to pursue visions, to pursue mysticism, New Age ism, and several other isms. To add to Jesus. Jesus isn't enough, in other words. What we really need is an experience with Jesus, and then that's when our faith will be real. So, some of you are in that camp, and I'm just saying it's a dangerous camp to be in, and you'll find yourself distracted. You'll find yourself seeking the things that the Lord is saying. Just focus on me, and I'll take care of all of that. That's why he says this. I love the beauty of this in verse 19. Check this out and not holding fast. So in other words, if you're doing this, then that means you're not holding fast to the head. And who's the head? Come on. Jesus, right? And we said that the, the body of Christ, with Jesus as the head, were the body. You can't disconnect body from head. Not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from where? It's from God. Well, what happens is, when you... Um, Add things to the gospel, and in this case, add experience to the gospel, then what you're saying is the sufficiency of the gospel or the greatness of God's love in and of itself isn't enough to stir me. Come on. If I want to be stirred, if I want to express joy, then what I really need are these elements. I fell into that trap. Um, many of you guys know my story. I was a part of massive college revival. I mean, we saw and experienced insane things for the glory of God. After I graduated, for three years in my youth ministry, I battled trying to recreate that experience. Come on, ha- listen. Have some of you guys had like insane encounters with the Lord? Where, I mean, it was just, it was for real that he was there, present, speaking. And there was no doubt about it. And then you spent like the next two or three or four years just trying to recreate that experience instead of banking on the God who never changes. You see the danger in that? Some of you are worship gathering to worship gathering. Your worship at home is irrelevant because it doesn't have this, it doesn't have the people, it doesn't have the speakers, it doesn't have all of those things. Do you understand how dangerous that is? Is there, let me say it this way, is there any worship happening in your individual life outside of the corporate? And if there's not, then you're just trying to recreate or longing for the experience instead of longing for the creator. That's what Paul's saying. Don't be distracted. Don't be distracted. Okay, You can focus. I love what he says in verse 20, which is kind of a summarizing, encouraging verse, okay? If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits, right, like died, the old man gone, crucified on the cross of Christ of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world? Come on. Listen, if you guys haven't seen this reoccurring uh, theme in the last several weeks, like I'm, I'm asking you and begging you again to see it. The old man dead, new creations in Christ, right? Okay. Th- right? Okay. You're like, no, we're not new creations in Christ. Oh, okay. Right? As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Like, he's posing this, okay, if the old man really is dead, and if Christ is the one that, that has made you alive, then why in the world would you get distracted by all of this spiritual paraphernalia? Right? Why would you? Because it's luring, because it's shiny, because it seems right. Because this group over here has prescribed to it. And so if it has a gathering of masses, it must be true. It must be real. Paul's saying, don't be distracted. Can't you hear his heart from a prison cell? Like longing, trying to protect and shepherd these folks. He goes on to say this in the next several verses. I'll check this out in verse 21. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch which is really random if you just, like, read it. Um, Like, the the first thing I I think of is, like, the the snake handlers. Um, (laughs) And um, actually, what he's pointing to here in the NIV, um, the New International Version, which many of us grew up on as far as translations of the Bible go, um, they they rightly put quotation marks around this. Well, what happens a lot of times in Paul's writings is he quotes uh, sometimes some Either philosophy of the day, to teach a now biblical truth, or he'll quote something that was very, very relevant uh, to the culture. So apparently these three phrases, okay, do not handle, do not touch, or, or do not uh, taste, do not touch, are either being said by some teachers of the day, or the readers of this would have known what that meant. Okay, we don't really know what this means exactly, except that the whole theme stays true, that they're trying to add to the gospel, Okay referring to things in verse 22 that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings question mark look at this these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion how do you know that what you believe is actually biblical how do you know that what you believe comes from the scripture if you're not reading it? Because so-and-so said it? I mean, there's certain television shows right now on the TV, on the television. (laughs) Imagine that, right? There's certain television shows on the television that if you just took them for what they said, because they said it's in the scripture, they didn't quote a verse, they didn't put it on the screen, or they took it completely out of context, you'd walk away saying, hmm, that must be true. Isn't it interesting that you can spend, listen, think about the danger of this. Isn't it interesting that you can spend your whole life thinking that you're believing what's true and in the end it's not at all? But you've never confirmed it. You've never sought it out for yourself. Listen, you've taken the words of either your family, a pastor, a, a, a teacher, a religious group, and you just said, yep, that's, that's true. That's right. I teach this all the time in the MV, how a lot of times you've created a God in your own mind that's convenient for you you worship Father God because, because that's who you understand, or you really attached to Jesus, or if you're potentially bent towards uh, uh, the charismatic side, then you really, really focus on the Holy Spirit. The problem is God is Father, He is Son, and He is Spirit, three in one, not just a triangle, but in reality, right? So if God's three in one, but you only focus on one, would you agree, and then now all of a sudden you've created a man-made religion that isn't biblical at all, right? Well, think about this. Like, this is all over our culture, and he's trying to protect them. There's a lot of man-made stuff out there. And if it's man-made, that's exactly what it is. The creation making more creation instead of resting in what the creator's done. Okay? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom. I mean, they look good, they look smart, they look wise. And promoting the great at marketing, self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. Now what he brings in are the people who in false humility live a life of owned poverty that is for their own good. Okay, so this is the people that like go out in public on days that they're fasting. And they're like, man, I really don't want to tell anyone that I... Hey, I'm, I'm fasting, everyone. Man, I'm hungry. Woo! Man, I, tomorrow when I eat after I fast all day. Let me encourage you with one thing. We've even promoted this some as a church. And I'm now like regretting that even, even as I teach this, okay. There's something weird about fasting and then binging. You guys see what I'm saying? Let me, let me use another example. Lent. Does any like, does anyone, can anyone make a good, strong, biblical case from the New Testament on, like, following Lent and, you know, like, doing a New Year's resolution with Easter or something is a command of the Lord? You see what I'm saying? But then what happens often when, like, when, when people go through Lent? Friday, fish fry, you know? Or after Lent's over, it's like, "Woo! I'm so glad I got rid of all that stuff. Now it's just time to, I got some sinning to do, right? And that's what he's saying. It's, it's like, you, you talk about your fast, you you look like you're hurting, or at times, and many people have done this for their own gain. There's certainly a, a biblical element to this as it comes with suffering for the gospel, but where people have like gone out looking to be whipped, or have even whipped themselves to act like, Martyrs. That's what he's saying. Like, it's, it's false humility. Okay? Asceticism is, is allowing your body even to suffer. But here's what he says But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Hello. Now, all of a sudden, we get to his, um, what I believe even to be the heart of the letter here his thesis statement. Okay? Before we look at this, let's examine this. Next slide. Don't be distracted by false humility. Listen, uh, if you want to serve the Lord, serve the Lord, not yourself. Okay? If you want to serve the Lord, then do so in a winsome way for the glory of God, not in a way that promotes uh, you. Okay? If you want to serve, then, then do it behind closed doors. And if you have to do it in front of people, then make sure before you ever even think about serving, your heart's in a place Of humility rightfully from God's uh, grace, that you know that you're nothing without him, but you're serving in response to who he is, not because he's keeping some tally of your service. You see how much goes into it? Okay. So in all these things, like don't be distracted by false humility done in the name of the Lord that looks like it's for God's efforts and for your glory. Those things are a distraction. Right? So because of that, then I ask this next slide. But they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Well, it begs a whole lot of questions then on what indulgence of the flesh is. Uh, Next slide. This will be interesting. Okay. What does have value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh then? Well, Next slide. When I think of indulgence, this is what I think of. You know what I'm saying? All right. Now, I, I kind of chose my dream buffet here. You, you enter your kale or whatever, okay? Um, <laughs> so when I think of indulgence, here's what I think of. Sitting at, at this buffet, right? And man, it's, I mean it's, it, it's looking pretty good. I mean, those vegetables could go, but everything else, <laughs> you got some chicken wings, you got pepperoni pizza, I mean that looks like an entire cow like right there in the <laughs> forefront. Oh, there are some grapes there on the right. That's nice. Right. So you sit down. Here's what indulgence is. You sit down and you're like, "I'll have that." And then you you get that. And you take a bite of it, you taste it. And you realize it has no taste. I mean, it did for a second. But you were like expecting like the steak to 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 go down and to fill you up and uh you know like your taste buds just continue to permeate from it, uh, and so you're like, well, well, there, ha- well, maybe the next steak will do that. Actually, hold on a sec. I'm just going to switch all together. Let, let's just go to the pizza, and then you try the pizza, and yeah, like the cheese is nice, and but for whatever reason, it, it like. It's leaving this, almost this like distaste in you. And it creates this longing for more and more and more, and yet you're more and more empty. It's really, really weird. That's what indulgence of the flesh is. Because um, some people would challenge, but Mark, like, I remember the days when I was dead in my trespasses, and it was pretty fun. Like, the alcohol tasted great. The, the weed made me feel awesome. The porn took um, the pain away. I'm not doubting those things, but I'm also saying that those things were very, very temporal, weren't they? I mean, the guys that I talked to that struggle with alcohol, it was like in the morning as they're, as they're throwing up again, it was just like this daily pattern of feeling bad and guilty again. I really saw this on my dorm room floor, right? Because all these non-believers were around me and they would be throwing up in the trash can and I would just walk down the hallway, not say a word, and they would look at me and say sorry. This happened all the time. Or they would cuss in the room, and they would say sorry. I'm like, why are you saying sorry to me? I mean, I would literally just be walking down the hallway, dudes chucking and ducking in the, in the trash can. And he turns, like, you know, wiping the vomit off his mouth after, after binge drinking, and he just, Mark, I'm so Sorry but why was he feeling that? He was feeling that because he realizes again how empty it is, and yet a few hours later can so easily go back to the plastic buffet. It's interesting how distracting that is, isn't it? And yet it's in front of us all the time. The uh, promises that it will provide, the promises that it will give what it can't, the promises that it will turn from creation to creator, the taste seems sweet, but it fades. I believe there's a different kind of, uh, different kind of taste, a different kind of, of palate. Next slide. Here's what the scripture says in Psalm chapter 34. Oh, and I love the word oh there. Can you just picture the psalmist say it like, oh, right? Taste and see that the Lord is good. The palate of the dead man versus the palate of the new creation. The taste buds of the dead man, the taste buds of the new creation. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes what? Come on. Who takes refuge in him. Who is so nurtured, nourished, fed. It's so like the, the thirst is so quenched in the character of God that the things of the flesh, the things of the world, the distractions that are all the time before us, they do not even seem appealing. The buffet that spread wide open like of legalism and false humility and all the facets uh, that go on with man-made religion and the things that alcohol claims it will provide or the ways that uh, an adulterous relationship promised a better hope and on and on and on. Those things in the tasting of the Lord's goodness fade away. and yet for whatever reason for whatever reason we look at this passage and you and I wonder is it true? and the reason I say that is because that's how you're living you're living like this isn't true taste and see that the Lord is good, yeah Mark, but so is that but so is that. You're still believing that somehow you can have a palate for both. That somehow the distractions are actually going to prompt deeper worship of the Lord. Church, can I be really super bold with myself and with you right now? If we find ourselves forever distracted, we will forever be building a kingdom of which you and I sit on the throne of. We will forever be building some monstrosity of our own mind that is surrounded by our comforts. And that's being fed by our desires and our passions and our need to taste from the buffet of the flesh yet one more time. But when the palate changes, when you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good... When you remember to remember, when you're celebrating in the character of the Lord, then all of these things, the stake that the world provided, you now see as a piece of dung. Like you, it's just gone. Like the desire, the palate goes away. You have a complete distaste of it. And that's why Paul is saying, don't be distracted. And yet I see a culture of church community that finds themselves arguing about things that have nothing to do with sharing the love of Jesus with all. And then we find ourselves again being celebrated by the enemy. Go team, he says. You guys keep fighting amongst yourselves. Hey, keep gossiping. That's good. Hey, keep judging one another. Oh, that gets them every time. Instead, no. No. I've tasted and I've seen that the Lord is good, and I in my life desire to not be guided and led and dominated by distraction for one more day. Instead, Lord, in my submission to your name, will you take the taste away, and when you give me a palate that only desires you. All right, that seems nice. In your heart, maybe deep down in there, you're giving an amen, not even knowing what amen means. But how does this get practical? You got your phone, bro? You got a phone? No, someone have a phone? Praise be to praise be to God. <laughs> that was a lot of trust there, Don. <laughs> so how does it get practical? Taught on this before? Say another thousand times. Okay? Will our kids know of us? This? Will our kids remember the glare of the LED screen in our face? Will on our tombstone it read things like, man, they were really proficient in the iPhone 6? (laughs) Can I ask you a very clear and I hope concise question for you as an individual? What right now is distracting you? Not giving it up for Lent. Not giving it up for some legalistic reason or to say that you gave up something. But isn't there something in you that's just tired of being dominated by distractions? Isn't there something in you that like longs to claim victory in the Hebrews text that says, for the joy set before him, for the focus of that joy set before him, he endured the cross. I'm asking you, what is distracting you? Would you be so willing to pray that God will change your palate, give you a taste only for the things of him and that the distractions would go away and you would find yourself so honed in on what the Lord would do. When you're on your phone, it has intentional purpose. you start asking your question, is everything that I'm doing, am I doing for the glory of God? Or is that Facebook check for me? Let's stand together. So I want to do something, uh, I want to do something a little strange maybe. Um, we believe very strongly here that uh, those of us in Christ here are the, are, are the body of Christ. We share all the time about the beauty of family. So I'm going to do something that can be a distraction or tonight for us can be unifying. I'm just going to ask you to reach out your hand and grab the hand of the folks next to you. And if, if across the aisles you want to reach out to, that's cool. Um, if this is really uncomfortable for you, like don't worry about it, okay? It's, it's all good. Um, here's what I want to pray in power right now for. I want to pray in power that this body of Christ will find itself in the right battles and the right war. I want to pray for us that this body of Christ would see our distractions go by the wayside, that our palate will forever be morphed and changed by the character of the Lord. I want to pray for us that we can hold one another accountable in this pursuit. We'd start uh, stopping people and we can tell they're distracted in conversation. When the dings during our lunch continue to go off from the phone and the continued glance that we would say, hey, listen, let's just be here now. The parents would be able to challenge other parents. When you go to the soccer games and you see 30 other parents on their phone instead of watching their children, we could have the audacity to say one another, hey, you know what? Why don't you throw it away? Is it worth it? Is the distraction that's taking you away from mission worth it? That's taking you away from loving your children and having actual conversations? Church, let's pray in power that God will clear our minds and focus our hearts in on who He is. Come on. So Father, um, you know right now the distractions that my friends, that me, are battling and struggling with. We just, we confess them. Maybe even, God, I, maybe even I haven't realized that it's a distraction until now. So here, God, we've believed and doubted at the same time. And I pray, God, that you would increase our faith. I pray that we would taste and see that you're good. And that it wouldn't just be a thought, but it would truly be the cry of our heart. So, God, right now in power, through the name of your son Jesus, I'm asking that you would take the distractions away and do whatever you got to do to do it. Whatever you got to do. The phone drops and the screen cracks tonight. The schedule has to change. The job is lost. God, literally, whatever you have to do, that we could solely be focused on you, who you are, your greatness, your holiness, all of those things, we're praying. The scary prayer of God tonight in faith that you would do it. Give us a palate that only desires to taste your goodness. Let's respond in worship, church. Come on.